solutions and the way that we innovate around trying to support these populations comes from actually talking to them and hearing what they need. And I felt like that was missing. That's Rebecca Stern, today's guest on Everywhere Radio. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly, and I'm your host, Whitney Kimball Coe. Each episode, I spotlight the good, scrappy, and joyful ways rural people and their allies are building a more inclusive nation. Today on Everywhere Radio, I'm thrilled to reconnect with Rebecca Stern, someone I came to know and admire over the course of the last summer, while Becca served as an intern here at Center for Rural Strategies. Throughout her time with us, Becca jump-started at least two new projects for the Rural Assembly and wrote several articles for the Daily Yonder. She traveled around southeastern Kentucky interviewing community leaders about everything from Appalachian musical traditions to climate change. And before she headed back to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she's working on a degree in public policy and global gender studies, Becca created an online platform for the Rural Assembly that spotlights the voices of rural young people as they reflect on reproductive justice in the wake of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade in May. The Rural Assembly is eager to release Becca's project this month alongside this episode, and I'm excited to talk with Becca today about her passion for advancing gender equity and reproductive justice in our communities. Becca is originally from Malvern, Pennsylvania, and her work and activism go back to her early days in high school, where she co-founded a nonprofit mentorship program for young girls, grades four through six, called Girls Together. During her junior and senior years of high school, she was also president of the Girl Up PA Coalition and helped lead a successful advocacy campaign for menstrual products and dispensers in her high school's women's and gender neutral bathrooms. Becca is also a member of the prestigious Robertson Scholarship Leaders Program, a community of leaders within Duke University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, striving to make transformational contributions to society. So yeah, Becca, you're kind of a big deal. Thank you oh. for joining us at the Royal Assembly um, this summer and, and for being here on Everywhere Radio with me today. Well, it's an honor to be here with you and I'm so excited to get to talk and reflect on everything that's happened in the past past year. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And there's just so much. In fact, some of what I wanted to talk to you about is like reflecting on the big events of the last year. And you happened to be with us um, at Rural Strategies in Whitesburg, Kentucky for some of the big, bigger events of the last year. But where, where are you calling from today? I'm currently in Chapel Hill um, in a building on campus and yeah, I'm in North Carolina, and I go to UNC, like as you said, and I'm preparing for a semester at, at Duke in Durham as part of the Robertson Scholarship Program. So usually between these two places. <laughs> awesome. And what year are you in school? I'm a sophomore, so I'm a second year. That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, I did give the, this big introduction about you because you are a rock star and I feel like it's important to, to name all the incredible things that you've, um, you've accomplished already in your, your young life. But again, looking back on this last summer, it just occurred to me that you were here um, with us for like two really monumental events, at least two monumental events. Um, one was national and that was the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And then the other one was literally in your backyard while you were in Whitesburg. Um, you were there for the big flood in July. And we've done several episodes with people um, who were also there and experienced firsthand um, 
the devastation of that flood. So that's a lot for just um, an internship, Becca. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> as you know, when you look back on your time with us, how, how are you processing this summer and, and all the things that happened? That's a really good question because it definitely was a lot. And I think what's yeah. important for me is remembering all of the good parts as well as like those really monumental and sometimes like really traumatic events for a lot of people in Whitesburg. I remember like being at Cowan Creek Mountain Music School and playing the banjo by the river when someone came up and said they just overturned Roe versus Wade. And mm -hmm. I remember um, being in our house with my close friends. We were all living together as part of the Robertson Scholars Program. We were all there for community summer. And waking up and being like, oh, the backyard is, is currently flooding. Um, we need to move. We need to get our things out and move to higher ground. So I think having this juxtaposition of like this, these really amazing times and these really like difficult times that were really stressful and chaotic is important um, because it's not right to only remember the good parts, but it's also not right and can feel like it under undersells or I don't know if that's the right word, but it isn't fair to the entire experience to not talk about these amazing moments. I think for me, it's important to, to keep all of these things in mind and give each of them like their, their due weight. Yeah. And you, you were able to channel, you know, both, I mean, all, a lot of, all of these events into the work you were doing at Rural Strategies. Um, I wonder if, you know, having that opportunity or the platforms that, um, that were available to you, was that helpful in integrating your experiences? Definitely. I think especially with the reproductive justice, um, when, when the overturn happened, I'm not from Kentucky and being in Kentucky and feeling a little bit powerless because I knew at the end of the summer I was going to go back to, I live in Pennsylvania, I go to school in North Carolina. And although a little bit shaky, both of those states did allow abortion. And I think for me, that kind of, what was important was making sure other young people got their voice heard who are going to be impacted mm -hmm. by this, that they were able to speak. And and I think having the rural strategies be an outlet to give them that voice was really was really meaningful to me. That And I was really grateful that I had that opportunity. And then as well with the flood, um, I've been able to continue to work with rural strategies. Uh, the Robertson Scholars alumni have been amazing. I've been working with some of the students who were there to launch a fundraising campaign and um, continue to work to support Whitesburg um, in the recovery from it. So I think in rural strategies has been like an incredible partner. Mm, that's, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so I, I, I want to talk more about the project that you launched with us, but um, first I, I really wanted to know, you know, who is Rebecca Stern beyond the, you know, the incredible uh, bio that I just read. What are some things that, that, you know, what are some ways that you describe yourself um, and, and think about yourself um, in this time and place in this country? I think the main identifier I've kind of clung to in the past, in the past year of my life, two years has been being a sister. And um, I think that that is the way I kind of try to lead um, both in my personal and like professional lives is professional and like in whatever sense a college student can say that. <laughs> um, but I have a really close relationship with my two sisters and a lot of that relationship is tied up in my favorite things, whether that's music, spending time outside. Um, and in college, I think my fun fact is always that I'm in an acapella group. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And 
I'm in a historically female acapella group and those that is like a family. So I think treating people like family and having that kind of sister relationship where you know that you're there for them and that they can come to you and you're treating them with kindness and with empathy. Um, I was looking at an information or an, uh, an informational interview that you gave for the Robertson Scholars Program um, where they asked you how would you create or how would you go about creating transformational change in communities? And you mentioned right at the top listening and empathy as two of the, the tools that you feel are most important. Um, do you think that that, uh, that comes from this bond that you share with your sisters? Is it family-based? Is it place-based? What has influenced your thinking um, to make you feel like those are the essential tools for transformational change, listening and empathy? I think a lot of it comes from my sisters, and I think also it comes from, I think, friendship. Um, I think the people I've grown the most from and the places I've grown have, like, all come from that place of having these, able to have a conversation with someone that, like, makes you maybe rethink the way that you are living your life and the way that you want to lead. Um, and I also think all of the the trainings and things I've had in the past 19 years have always centered on those as listening and empathy as being the main ways that we connect with each other, that we are, that we act like the best versions of ourselves, and can create the most beneficial change. Mm. And you know, I'm struggling these days myself with those two things, just because of the you know political environment that we're living in these days. Especially if you're from a small town where you know everyone and you know how they vote and you know, you know, um, what news they listen to and take in. It can be hard to uh, cross those divides that that might exist. Um, do you feel like are you hopeful about the future of our country and being able to use empathy and listening as as strategies going forward? Um, are you feeling at all cynical about where we are right now? You're part of that Gen Z yeah. that uh, showed up, <laughs> by the way, at the polls this um, yeah recently. I I'm really, I was on campus and I saw how many students were out there being like, go vote, please. There was a mm -hmm. huge blow up thing in our like main center on campus, the pit. It was just like, I think it was like a unicorn just saying vote. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I've seen that like hate doesn't usually work. Um, we also like on campus, we had like a, a pro-life group, I guess, came and put up these huge like really disturbing graphic images of like abortion. They're anti-Semitic. It was, it was bad. Um, and I remember seeing like students just stand in front of it and hold signs being like, I'm here for you. Um, like you're like this health, like abortion is healthcare and healthcare is a human right. And like the way that they kind of coalesced around it to like block students from having to see this thing that was incredibly disturbing on their way to class. I think that it's difficult when you see that listening and empathy can only go so far sometimes when you're begging politicians to make the choices that let you and the people that you care about and people that you don't know, like people that you know and that, that, that don't have so many of the things that they need. Um, when politicians like refuse to make the choices and the votes that allow them to have access to like basic human necessities um, I think it's hard when you know that no matter how many calls you make sometimes that that's not going to change and that 
you try your hardest, but like what story can you tell that will make them change their mind? And some people just, just won't. Um, but I also think that I've seen, I've seen people change and I've, I feel like I've being at school, um, in a little bit, like coming to the, like a little bit more South, I have friends who are more conservative than I am. And I think I've seen that like, that is when, when you spend time with people, you like see them as a human being first, but beyond their politics. And I think that's really powerful that we get so caught up in like, oh, are they conservative? Are they liberal? And like, mm -hmm. is that a reason to spend, like, that's why I, I can't be with them if they are. But I have like many close friends who have different politics than I do. And like, I think as long as we agree on the same like human decency standards, which sometimes is not the case for everyone, like you can still, you can listen to their point of view and you might not agree, but you can still listen. Um, and I think by telling stories sometimes is the best way we can help each other um, understand things from a different perspective and, and sometimes change our minds and sometimes not. But I don't think changing minds is always the goal. I think it's coming Ooh. to a mutual. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that we get really caught sometimes in trying to force someone to like be on our side or like it's like a competition. But I think sometimes just being able to respect someone else and help them respect and understand someone else's life or lived experience can maybe not change their mind in that moment, but reframe the way they think about something or add a different perspective that helps them like maybe make choices at that moment or down the line that that are good. We'll be right back with Everywhere Radio, but first, a special message from our partner, The Daily Yonder. Hi, I'm Xander Brown with The Daily Yonder. The Daily Yonder is the nation's only news outlet devoted exclusively to the information needs of rural America. We provide a way for people who care about diverse small towns and rural places to stay up to date on the things that matter most, economic development, education, healthcare, elections, conservation, arts and culture, and more. You have a special opportunity to help The Daily Yonder. Go to dailyyonder.com to make your contribution to support our one-of-a-kind rural journalism. Giving online is easy. You can also order Daily Yonder merch with your donation as an added bonus. Thanks for supporting The Daily Yonder. Thinking about all these big concepts we're talking about, I mean, compassion and honoring the, the full human experience, wanted to ask you about your advocacy around menstrual equity equity, um, period, poverty and menstrual equity. I wonder uh, if our listeners are really familiar with that um, area of focus. It seems to be something that's gaining traction in communities of all sizes. I know even here in my own uh, community, we have a, um, a ministry called Love Period, which provides period products to people across the community through all kinds of institutions, from schools to libraries to the YMCA, um, free, free products. So how did, how did you jump on that, um, that work and become really interested in, in menstrual equity? Yeah, and I also want to say I was able to visit um, your town, Athens, and I saw free menstrual oh, yeah. products in Athens, and it made me so happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I remember it was a very random kind of occurrence. I was like on Instagram, as any Gen Z person is. I think I was in 10th grade, um, and I saw that my friend who also did Girl Up, Girl Up was a national international organization, actually, and we had a chapter at our school, and my friend was the president of her chapter at her school, and she posted a picture with a tampon and um, a tampon and, and Pat Spencer being like, we just got free menstrual products for our school, and I was like, I think that's cool. I want to know how you did that and what that's about. 
and I kind of went down this loophole of wormhole of the internet um, mm -hmm. and just learned all about what menstrual equity means and the impact of menstrual inequity. Uh, and I think for me, it comes down to being able to live like a full, like being able to have access and the ability to go about your normal life, like being able to go to school, going to work um, and, and living safely and um, in, in a healthy way when you're having your period. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's how I kind of got interested in it. And it, it has a lot of many, like a lot of different contexts, both in low and middle income developing countries, menstrual inequity happens, but it also happens in the US. Um, and it, ha it was happening in my school. I was like talking to students and realizing they were leaving class and they were going home um, or they were sitting in the nurse's office because they didn't have menstrual products. And no one should have to leave class and lose out on education because they don't have access to a tampon or a pad um, or whatever menstrual product they choose to use. And mm -hmm. I was talking to students also and realizing that um, students who were LGBTQIA plus were also struggling to get access to menstrual products. And I think when we were working on this project, like trying to make sure that they were also having their needs met um, because it isn't just a woman's issue. Um, and I think it's important that they're not just called like female products or female sanitary mm -hmm. products. They're just menstrual products. I think a lot of our work was just trying to normalize it and um, help people get access to the products they need it. Uh, I was working with a teacher at our school who also ran something called the Comfort Closet, which had a bunch of other um, bodily care products uh, as well as as menstrual products and students would get referred there by their teachers and I wanted to make sure that we kind of we had that and that was fully stocked with menstrual products as well as normalizing that anyone might need this at some point during the day and having those available. That is so inspirational and it um, I mean it helps me even think about here locally um, pathways that we could be on with Love Period um, and serving our community and the expansiveness of your definition about you know what who are menstrual products for, um, that it's not just a women's issue, that threads from that are definitely evident in your uh, work at Rural Strategies around reproductive justice in this project um, that we're going to be uh, sharing with the Rural Assembly audience in the coming weeks um, that you jump-started for us. So I want to go there um, now and talk about, like, right after the Dobbs decision how the Rural Assembly staff, we were all sitting around on a Zoom, I think, or something like that, wondering what is the best way we could step in in this moment? And your idea was to let's tap young people and talk to them about their experience of not just abortion access, but about reproductive justice more broadly. Um, and again, expanding that tent and that definition. Um, you want to tell tell us about just kind of the genesis of, of this project? I think being in that meeting, there's, a, I think it gets very divisive mm -hmm. when you get to older people. But at the end of the day, like young people tend to be sometimes most disadvantaged by not having access to abortion and contraceptives, and especially in rural areas. A lot of the, I was able to talk to young people and a lot of the things they struggled with are things that are like very unique, I think, to rural areas too. Um, and I felt like there was a missing voice in this conversation. And it kind of came down to this one quote. And I was looking up every day, like rural reproductive justice or 
rural abortion access, rural contraceptive access, rural Roe versus Wade after the overturn. And I remember it always would come down. It's like, well, this clinic closures and all these things always impact low-income people, people of color, and rural populations. And that's kind of where it ended. And I felt like there was there was more to say than that. And I think solutions and the way that we innovate around trying to support these populations comes from actually talking to them and hearing what they need. And I felt like that was missing. And I was happy to be in Kentucky and be able to have friends who were young people that I could talk to. Um, I remember the first round of interviews I did, I had two friends who were working at Apple Shop for the summer. Um, and basically they just were inviting their friends over and all of a sudden we had four people sitting around talking about abortion and it was great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so you immediately employed the listening um, and empathy skills, but um, I love what you were saying there about how so much of the national coverage about this has stopped at the point at which it says rural populations, people of color, and underprivileged populations are the ones that will feel the effects of this most keenly. Um, and your your response was, and, and what, and why, and how do we innovate around that? Um, your takeaways from these interviews, I mean, I think you were able to do a really good job of kind of like summarizing some of the key insights and takeaways. Um, do you want to share some of those here? Yeah, for sure. And I also want to say there's so much more that I, yeah. people, I didn't, people I didn't get to interview. And I'm sure more things I would have learned. Um, and even talking to people in the South, rural South versus rural North, or like, there's a lot of different perspectives. And um, I think it's it's important to to see that this is not all encompassing, but these are the experiences of the couple people I did get to interview. So the main things were in rural areas, sex education is not as comprehensive nor inclusive of LGBTQIA plus or disabled people. And listening to these folks, I learned a lot about that and how that kind of makes them feel when they're living in these areas and they don't feel seen or respected in their curriculum. There's also a big religious influence of Christianity on rural areas that was deeply felt by rural youth in reproductive health care matters, especially ones who aren't Christian or religious at all. I uh, remember one of my favorite interviews was with Phoebe Wagner, who talked about being Jewish in a rural area and kind of having to abide by Christian moral codes, but that's not really what you believe. I'm also Jewish, and the way that our religion is felt and treats abortion can be very different than Christianity. So it was really interesting to talk to her about that and what it's like navigating that as someone living in a rural area that can feel dominated by Christianity. Rural youth who are LGBTQIA plus and disabled face even greater barriers to access necessary health care, both in their education, actual treatment, and the autonomy that the justice system has ruled that they have over their own body and their capacity to take care of children. We talked to half, I think, of our folks were disabled, and I think that that was really powerful in hearing how that identity intersected with their others, especially their rural one to impact their ability to access reproductive health care and how they were thinking about reproductive health care and how society viewed them and their and their experiences with sex and what that meant for reproductive health care. Um, we also had, in rural small towns, less privacy is afforded to people trying to access reproductive health care. Privacy culture also limits what's allowed in polite conversation. And a big issue that I think I saw with that was that when you know everyone, trying to get your 
like plan B or get the pill from your mom's best friend in it can be a little bit more difficult and that can impact your ability to access abortion mm -hmm. or contraceptives as well as it not being allowed to be talked about at all can silence conversations that can be really important and helpful and educational. Mm -hmm. uh, even with Roe in place nationally, people in many rural communities had to travel long distances to reproductive care. That was something that we talked about a lot with those who lived in Kentucky that they're, I think at the time of Roe versus Wade overturn, I think there was one, maybe two, and I think they were both in Louisville. So for many people, it meant they were traveling like three hours each way, maybe more, to get an abortion. So when people start talking about these distances being so much longer than they used to be, for some cases that was what people were already facing before, which I think was really important that sometimes when Roe versus Wade was talked about, a lot of the time, when you interview people of color, they said, well, we also never had access. Like, we, we, we didn't have abortion access before for a lot of the reasons that play into reproductive justice and, and seeing an overall framework of what it means. It's not just about the legal right to have an abortion, but all the other factors that impact that and impact reproductive health care and being able to even raise a child. And I think for many people in rural communities, they had similar problems where it's not just about whether you legally have the right to abortion, like what are the other factors that impact your ability to get one and to have control over the ability to have a child or not and raise that child in the way that you want. And then finally, um, every youth and many youth practitioners I talk to bring up fear and shame in the wake of the overturn of Roe versus Wade because of all of this fear and uncertainty and confusion people didn't know where to go to. So everyone's afraid. And I think feeling scared was such a common reaction. And you're relying on social media and sometimes very helpful TikTok advice, but also you're, you can't sometimes go to the trusted adults in your community. Um, and you don't know what the future holds, where if you, in a year you'll be able to get an abortion or in a day. So I think that when the world kind of feels like it turns upside down, not having these like safe spaces to go to can be really, really scary. Mm. So that was a very long no, rundown. I'm so glad you did. You went through all of those because I think they're, they're all huge and important. And they, again, expand our, our definitions, our understandings, our con con conceptualization of what's at stake in rural places um, in particular for young people around reproductive health care and justice. How, how did you feel like as you were hearing their story, what did you feel at, at the close? Um, I don't know. How did, how did all of that sit with you in your listening and empathetic body? I think for, for me thinking about what it is like to live in these communities and be 30 minutes away driving, um, or something around that from, a grocery store or drugs or gas station where if you want to get birth control, like everyone's going to know. Um, and like mm -hmm. every purchase could be reported on. <laughs> um, I think that was really powerful in, in being grateful for the access resources I have, but then also being even more passionate about making sure that everyone has access to these like basic things and making sure that the work that is out there I think a big thing I noticed was that there are ways to get um, access to contraceptives and, and birth control 
but people don't know um even in like whitesburg all access eky is here like they are a, a for the whole region and they're centered in whitesburg and sometimes people still don't know that it's right in their backyard and they can get condoms mailed to them they can get plan b um and i think when we have all of these resources out there but the information access like isn't equal that people can can be left out and i think for me it felt even more important to make sure people knew what resources they had um but overall it was it was really sad um i think there was a mutual just when you're talking to someone else who's feeling impacted by this big decision uh that you you feel for them Mm. Um, so we'll make this, uh, this project available on the rural assembly site in the coming weeks. And I, I want to ask you, you know, what is your hope for, for it and how can the assembly continue to honor that, those voices and the work that you started? Um, and that, you know, me asking you this question is also a way of um, me inviting you to hold, help hold us accountable to, to doing this well. I think my goal is that if enough people see this or one person sees this, that they'll be able to take the steps to help the youth of their community have access to the knowledge and tools to have autonomy over their bodies and live their life the way they want. Yeah. So, Becca, before I let you go, I want to ask you the question I ask all of our guests on Everywhere Radio what are you listening to or watching or reading that you would like to share with the Rural Assembly audience? Such a good question. And I wish, I really wish I had more to say because I'm <laughs> well, so you're a student. Down. I know. I mean, I read so much, but most of it is random articles. But between my classes, I've learned so much this semester about, I've been global reproductive health, the history of women's health activism, Land and Feminisms, which touched on reproductive sovereignty, and also Bio 101, which has also taught me a lot about reproductive health. So I think mm-hmm. all the things I've read have informed my own self-knowledge of my body, but also the importance, allow me to know the importance of knowing your own body. So I encourage everyone to read up on things about reproductive justice, but also about their own bodies and understand that. I think that's a really powerful version of, of autonomy and sovereignty um, in a non-traditional sense of the word. Um, But also I read a really good book that I would recommend (laughs) um, recently called uh, Revolting Prostitutes and about the fight for sex workers' rights. And it's a really, I think, been a really good example of what it means to listen because the whole book is written by two sex workers and it's talking about their experience um, in looking at different models of legalization and criminalization in regards to sex work and how this impacts sex workers around the world and having these really anecdotal anecdotal pieces, but also statistical pieces. And I think that book has served as a really good model of what it means to have like a more community-informed opinion. Wow. Thank you for that recommendation. And thank you for this conversation. You're just wonderful. And um, there's so much we didn't get to cover. Your acapella group, I want to hear more about, of course. So Um, Let's do this again at some point soon. See you soon. See you soon. If you enjoyed Everywhere Radio, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to the General Rural Assembly newsletter. 
That's where we promote new offerings from the assembly and we amplify the good work of our many partners across the country. We've also launched a new policy advocacy newsletter that comes to inboxes on Mondays to help you start each week with a quick take on the top issues that we're tracking across the nation. Everything from broadband policy to rural vaccinations. Just head over to ruralassembly.org to sign up. If you're a true fan of Everywhere Radio, please let us know by rating us wherever you get your podcast. If this isn't your cup of tea, that's no biggie. It's fine. And we'd like to thank our media partner, The Daily Yonder. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly. Our senior producer is Joel Cohen. Associate producers are Teresa Collins and Xander Brown. And our assistant producer is Anya Slepian. And we're grateful for the love and support from the whole team at Center for Rural Strategies. Love you mean it. You can be anywhere. We'll be everywhere. <laughs>